Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Well, coming home to a pet at the end of a long day who's happy to see you helps our mental health, but also our physical health if that pet needs a walk. But having a pet goes beyond just caring for the animal by feeding it and getting its shots. Pet health is a new area of research that's gaining a lot of attention. And that can be because we're learning more about our health each and every day. So today we're going to talk with Faith Warren, who's the manager of the doghouse downtown St. John's on Duckworth. She's going to reinforce why having a pet, in particular a dog, is so good for our overall health. We're then joined by Sarita Pello, who's a researcher and founder of East Coast Canine Dog Training. Sarita's currently enrolled in her second master's degree at Memorial University. This time, she's studying under the Cognitive and Behavioral Ecology program in the Canine Research Unit. Her research is investigating the links between gut microbiome and anxiety and aggression in dogs. Now, we recently featured the folks at Nuclix Biologics as we spoke to them about human gut microbiome, but now we're learning that extends to our furry friends as well. But first, let's check in with Faith in the doghouse to see why having a pet could be a healthy choice for many of us. Hi, Faith. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. How's it going today? Fantastic. It's been a while since I've been down to visit you at the doghouse, but you know, tell me a bit about yourself and actually tell me a bit about your business as well. Okay, so I've been managing the doghouse now for 18 years, and we have things for dogs, things for cats, everything that you need is here for your dog or cat. We're down on Duckworth Street, and we've been here 21 years. Uh, it's a fabulous job. It's a fabulous place. You can bring your dog, and we even have cats come visit, so everybody can come and you can even bring your iguanas, whatever kind of animal you want, come and visit us. That's awesome. I love that. And, you know, we used to be right next door to you when we had the gym back in the day. So we were neighbors. And uh, of course, I've had pets over the years. And so today we're going to talk not only about, you know, pets, but also what the health and wellness benefits are for us as pet owners, because they add so much into our lives. You know, but I guess the first question to ask is, why do people get pets to begin with? believe that people get pets for companionship you know pets keep us from being lonely they definitely entertain us they make us laugh they reduce stress it's someone else in your home especially if you live alone there's someone that you come home to every day or that you're with every day if you're retired or not working they just add so much joy and i think a kind of peace in your home it's just it's just a feeling of someone's there waiting for you. Very happy feeling indeed. Well, that's right. I mean, you think about, you know, what people crave more than anything. And I think this really reared its head during the pandemic when the, I think people were getting dogs, at least my friends were all over the place because they were looking for a connection. And, uh, you know, so when people have this connection with animals, like, I mean, why do people refer to themselves as dog moms and dog dads these days? Is it actually that deep? I think so. I believe so. I, I know some people don't like, you know, when people say, oh, I'm the dog mom or I'm the cat mom or I'm the iguana mom or what have you. Some people are like, no, you're, that's not a child. But to some people, especially those who haven't had children, it's someone that they're taking care of. You have to give it all the needs, the same as if you had a young person in your home. You have to feed, you have to take care of the bathroom needs mm -hmm. and to give this animal love so to each person that calls it yes they're on the mom or i'm the dad or what have you this is something that they feel that is their own child and i see nothing wrong with that 
Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, people can definitely choose who they want to give their love to these days and animals being uh, an easy way for people to be able to get that connection. But from a wellness perspective, I had uh, a dog, which was like a husky mix. And that thing had a lot of energy, like a lot of energy. I had to take it out walking all the time. You know, how do dogs help people when it comes to getting that physical activity? Because I feel like sometimes it almost makes them because they care about the dog so much. Absolutely. Like you have a dog, you have to go out. You have to go outside that door. You have to go outside that house. You have to get off the couch and go and take them for walks. You know, it gets you out with the public. You become more active. I know just seeing the joy of the dog when you reach for the leash or you say, let's go for a walk. And you see that dog just light up and jump around and get so excited that you want to go outside. And then when you go outside, I feel when I'm walking in the woods or just downtown or just around my neighborhood, I just feel an instant calmness and just just feel so much better than being inside, especially on a beautiful sunny day. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that 1000%. Being out in nature is such an amazing thing, but sometimes we need that cute little thing to take us out of that zone of working or or being inside the house to get us outside. You know, we sort of touched on something that's really, really important, and that was mental health. Um, Being outside, spending time with your dog, playing with your dog, obviously a, a great source of mental health. But for people that might not be physically able to, for example, senior citizens, for example, um, how do pets help us with our mental health when, you know, we may be struggling? I think for mental health, definitely uh, people that especially, you know, those who are alone and are finding depression and so on. And, you know, they have no one else to reach out to. And when they have this pet there, you know, you can, I know I had dogs and I spoke to my dog and she knew all my secrets and I just that I could speak and talk and no one was judging there's nobody judging your pets do not judge you you know our mental health is certainly boosted uh you feel much more calm there's like a lot of happiness there's a feeling that from this animal that you have whether it be a dog or calf or a bird that we're needed and we're loved by this animal. And it just gives you that sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And and I think that that is important. And when we look at like the full circle kind of moment here, we're talking about connection, improved physical health, improved mental health. That's that to me is really the foundation of a healthy lifestyle right there. Um, you see people coming in all the time. Plus, I know you live an extremely healthy lifestyle yourself. How does having a dog or a pet lend itself to an overall healthier lifestyle in your view? I find that also not only you getting outside with the dog and exercising, but you are going, you're usually with a group. I know we mm. walk group and you're just chatting about day-to-day things. There's lots of laughter. There's just a fun time. Uh, when we get together, even just to watch movies, some of us bring the dogs with us, you know, when we're in like with our friends. And I just find that you've got more social, you're more social, you kind of come out of your shell when you have a pet. I think they're just a great bonus to our mental health. Yeah, that's so true. Actually, you're right, because you go down to the dog park and while your dog is running around, if you do go to the dog park, you, you're bound to meet new people, have a little chat about things. And uh, yeah, you can see how that expand a social circle. And a lot of people are trying to get back out in the world after two years of not reconnecting with folks. So I guess, you know, the, the question would be now, uh, if somebody is contemplating getting a dog, what words of wisdom would you have for them if it came to sort of making that very significant commitment for a bit of a, you know, about what, 12, 14 years of time? 
exactly it is a 12 to 14 plus you know we dogs that uh been here for 17 years and are still our customers Mm -hmm. and you have to be ready for that commitment plus you have to be willing to put in the time for training training is very important and that makes everything a much happier home because you want the dog to have a little routine and dogs survive on that cats i think so too they like a routine like any animal they like to know what's going on and I feel that that's very important. So you want to know that you're ready for this and you have to keep in mind too that there is an expense with vet bills and so on and the general health of the animal. But overall, I think it's like the best step to make. If you're ready, you just go and either rescue or go to a reputable breeder and get either cat, dog, iguana, whatever kind of animal that's gonna bring you some extra joy in your life. That's fantastic. And when they get that pet, they can come down and visit you at the doghouse because you're there quite often and your team down there is fantastic. So I just really appreciate you sharing your expertise and your wealth of knowledge with us as we sort of go on this journey today about learning about our health and pet health. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. Have a wonderful day. Well, that's Faith Warren, manager of the doghouse. Next up, we chat with Sarita Pello, who's a researcher and founder of East Coast Canine Dog Training. Her research is investigating the links between gut microbiome and anxiety and aggression in dogs. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with Sarita Pello, who's a researcher and founder of East Coast Canine Dog Training. Her research is investigating the links between gut microbiome and anxiety and aggression in dogs. Let's check it out. Hi, Sarita. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you back. We had you on recently. We talked about the Soapbox Science event, but I thought your research was so interesting. We should do an episode dedicated to it. Now, we talk a lot about human health on the show, and we've talked about things like microbiome, but today we're going to talk about uh, pet health, particularly dog health in your research. But before we dive into that, uh, I understand you're from the UK. What brought you to Newfoundland and Labrador? That's right. So I actually moved to Newfoundland 11 years ago. Um, I initially came over to complete a master's degree in a in a totally different field. Um, I graduated from the University of Manchester back in 2011 um, from the zoology program. And I actually moved here to complete a master's degree at the Ocean Sciences Centre. I was investigating uh, the links between temperature change and cardiovascular physiology in fish. Hmm. Um, so that brought me here. Um, after graduation, I uh, was pretty unsuccessful, honestly, in trying to find trying to find a job uh, related to that field. So I ended up um, sliding into working around my passion, which at the time still is dog training. Mm-hmm. Um, I started that up with um, my eldest dog, Denzel who was a problem child, to put it politely. Um, he <laughs> dealt with a lot of aggressive behaviours throughout his life. Um, so I, what started as a hobby and a matter of personal interest for my own dog actually developed into starting my own dog training business. Mm. Yeah, and you mentioned that when we chatted before that you know people should follow their passions. So this is something you're extremely passionate about. You said eldest dog. So how many dogs do you actually have? Uh, right now we have two. Uh, so my eldest dog, Denzel, is a 10-year-old Boston Terrier. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Lilu, 
who is my Rottweiler. She's about five years old. Um, she was rescued from the SPCA here in town. Wow. That's a, that's a bit of, I'm pretty sure a Boston Terrier is quite a small dog, is it not? Small dog, big personality. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Good. And Denzel, in fact, is, well, he's close on 40 pounds. So he's really, he's my mutant Boston Terrier. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. And so you're studying now, you, you, so you, you're formally trained in, in training dogs, um, but now you switch your research over and you're studying what about canines? So I'm investigating the links between gut microbiome and anxious and aggressive behaviors in dogs. Um, and it's actually an opportunity that sort of arose for me with excellent timing at the start of the pandemic. Um, so back in 2020, during the first lockdown, um, I was obviously unable to work hands-on with my students. So it's using that time for sort of some personal development and continuing education. So I happened across an advertisement for a position with the Canine Research Unit at Memorial University. Um, I got in touch with my now supervisor, uh, Dr. Carolyn Walsh, mm -hmm. and that project itself was actually designed by Carolyn and two other professors at the university, uh, Don Bignall in uh, microbiology and Lourdes Penny Castillo in bioinformatics. Um, so they're a group of dog lovers who got together and combined their areas of expertise um, to propose this project investigating how the gut microbiome content could potentially be linked with um, aggressive and anxious behaviors in dogs. Um, so given my previous experience um, had been in the treatment of anxiety and aggression through behavior modification, um, and the fact that I was interested in gaining certification as an applied animal behaviorist, which would require the masters in an animal behavior field, um, I made the decision to go ahead and join the team and head back to school at the peak of the pandemic. <laughs> That's perfect. That's good timing, especially when you've got some subjects at home right next to you the whole time and you get to yep. <laughs> learn. And, but again, uh, you know, research is a huge process. There's a huge amount of back information that needs to be read to get you up to speed, and particularly when you enter a new field. And it sounds as though what you're researching is quite novel. I mean, I've heard, we actually did an episode recently with the folks from Nucleic Biologics where we talked about gut microbiome in humans, and I became really interested in this topic. But if you're looking at it from a animal point of view, how is it that the gut microbiome or these little bacteria that are inside of our bodies or inside of a dog's body can actually impact their behavior? What's the what's the theory there behind that? So there's a lot of a lot of evidence to suggest that there's a bidirectional link between the gut and the brain. So it works both ways. Um, what we put into our body can impact um, our gut microbiome. And the theory is when it comes to behavior and any learning and cognition is that the bacteria that are in our gut, the metabolites that they produce when they're breaking down the food can send signals up to the brain, but the brain can also send signals back down to the gut that could Im impact that content there. So in my mind, I instantly go think of things like say stress. Um, if you, are stressed, your brain is going to send signals down to the gut that might not be quite so happy. Um, and then vice versa, if the gut isn't working properly, it may not be producing the correct metabolites to help the brain function to its optimum capacity. So there's, there's a lot of evidence in the human literature and also in mice as well. But for dogs, dogs are relatively understudied. So there's far less known about exactly what it is about that relationship between the brain and the gut. Um, and how behavior and learning can potentially be impacted by it. Hmm. 
That's really interesting. So I guess it's sort of like if your stomach doesn't feel good as a person, we can get cranky or if we have IBS, a lot of time can be linked to stress in, in a person's life. And so the same thing happens for dogs. I guess we are pretty similar to them in a lot of ways. Hey? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So has there been research in this area before? And uh, how did you really come up with the concept of looking at this? So within the dog field, there's relatively little known about the behavioral links. Um, we know quite a lot about the impacts of diet, and we know a fair amount about the links between gut microbiome and disease, so digestive upset, gastrointestinal diseases. Um, in terms of behavior, um, there was a relatively um, recent paper back in 2020. Um, it was a researcher called Elisabetta Mondo from uh, Bologna in Italy. Mm -hmm. And Lisbetta and her associates, they published a paper that compared the gut microbiome profiles of aggressive, phobic, aka anxious dogs, and quote-unquote normal healthy dogs. Um, this research was all done in shelter animals, though. So a key distinction between that research and ours is we felt that the use of shelter dogs could potentially interest some confounding effects of stress. Um, which we're unsure that could potentially affect the gut microbiome, but we did feel like it would definitely affect their behavioral profile that they were assigned um, to be grouped into an aggressive or an anxious dog. Mm -hmm. um, so our research aimed to build on this area by investigating companion animals rather than shelter dogs. Mm -hmm. And in doing this, there's two key reasons. Um, that stress, um, like I say, could impact the behavioral assessment so what we did instead was asked owners to complete a behavioral questionnaire. It's called the CBARC, a canine behavior and research questionnaire hosted by the University of Pennsylvania. And that owner reported questionnaire allows the owners to um, respond to specific situations that their dog might be introduced to and gauge how, they, how their dog would react. So from that, you get um, various aggression and anxiety scores, things like stranger-directed aggression, dog-directed aggression, separation-related issues, but also your trainability and excitability of the dog. So having this owner-reported questionnaire, we felt was a more representative way of developing these behavioral profiles rather than a snapshot assessment within a shelter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, you, you know, it's... It's not like a human where you can elicit a specific response. You're trying to look for responses that can occur at really any time uh, with an animal. So an owner, given the right guidelines, be able to identify this behavior, would, that would make perfect sense that they'd be involved in that sort of thing. So when you conduct this research, um, you say you're using dogs that are domesticated, not once in the shelter. I think sometimes about um, uh, dogs from Labrador, for example, which are very common around here that may have had a very different diet when they were you know, uh, maybe in a different environment or maybe somewhat more wild or stray in certain ways um, and then coming here are you going to be looking at a specific type of dog or just all dogs in general so right now it is very much preliminary research so mm. we wanted to look at sort of the global population of dogs so mm. less breed specific and more focusing on trying to limit that sort of variability that's going to come in when you're looking at the gut microbiome 
So the dogs that we selected, we tried to minimize that variability by making sure they were adult dogs and on a consistent diet and diet type as well. Mm -hmm. um, all of those factors, even just a change in living arrangements could potentially impact the gut microbiome. So we're going for stability at start um, within that population to make sure we have a nice baseline for a foundation of information. And then later studies could definitely go on to start to invest, investigate the different roles of, um, you know, their diet, their living arrangements. Um, when I think of dogs from up in Labrador too, I mean, a lot of them would be living on the streets, they'd be living mm -hmm. on scraps, probably not having the most balanced diet. Mm -hmm. um, so there's definitely a research question in there somewhere too of those early living arrangements, how that might impact the dog's gut microbiome and behavior long-term too. We're here with Sarita Pello, who's a researcher and founder of East Coast Canine Dog Training. Her research is investigating the links between gut microbiome and anxiety and aggression in dogs. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with Sarita Pello, who's a researcher and founder of East Coast Canine Dog Training. Her research is investigating the links between gut microbiome and anxiety and aggression in dogs. Let's check it out. Now, have you found anything really interesting to date? Or are you guys still in the data collection side of things? Uh, we actually have. Um, so we have just completed data analysis and we're in the process of writing a paper right now. So I'm very excited to say that we have actually found some really interesting information in particular in the high anxiety dogs. So it was a little surprising. Um, we didn't find much of a distinction between high aggression and low aggression dogs. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing that is important there too is that we're dealing with pet animals. So, you know, the we really don't have that sort of distinction between extreme aggression cases. Um, and also when I put sort of my dog trainer hat on again for a second, it does sort of make sense to see more consistent differences in anxious dogs. Um, generally when we're talking about aggression, it can be very context specific. So say for example, you have a dog who's aggressive towards other dogs. If they're kept away from other dogs and kept away from interacting with them, it sort of minimizes that problem. So in my mind, an anxious dog is probably experiencing more prolonged stress mm -hmm. um, than a dog that's showing aggressive behaviors. Yeah. So yeah, there wasn't very much in the aggression groups, but for anxiety, we did find a couple of bacteria uh, that did distinguish between the high and low anxiety groups. And one in particular is from the genus Blautia. So that was actually present in six out of seven of the analyses that we ran on the gut microbiome profiles. Huh. Uh, bacteria in particular in the literature has been sort of receiving mixed reviews for how it contributes to the host's health. Uh, in some studies, Blautia is associated with sort of probiotic and protective effects, so it seems like it's beneficial. But then in some other studies, it's indicated as being associated with an increased risk of cancer or potentially um, gastrointestinal disease. So given that it's a relatively newly identified genus, or it's actually been reclassified recently, there isn't a whole lot of information around this particular genus. Mm -hmm. What we do know, though, is the fact that it's identified at the genus level rather than the species. We're likely looking at a species that doesn't have those uh, protective and probiotic effects because we're seeing more of this bacteria 
in the highly anxious status. So, okay. So, so let's translate this a little bit for the listeners here today. So, you know, you think about uh, these gut microbiome, they all have different roles within the body. And I think about when we feed uh, our children, for example, something that uh, would be high in sugar or maybe high in caffeine. If some kid was able to have copious amounts of caffeine, I could see how anxiety and hyperactive or changing a behavior as opposed to aggressiveness could be impacted more by the foods we eat. Now, when we think about this with the dogs right now, if people are feeding their dogs something like a table scraps, for example, or human food, could that potentially impact the way that their stomach works or even their behavior as a result of this microbiome? I think there's definitely a link, um, but I suppose it depends what that human food is that you're giving to your dog. You know, some people um, are adamant that the dog will not be fed from the table, whereas some people see that as a way of enriching their diet and providing um a more balanced diet for their dog in terms of, you know, feeding, if you're feeding veggies or supplementing their diet with meat and whole foods. Mm -hmm. um, I think in terms of dogs, there's definitely a link between what goes in and the behaviors that we see, but there's relatively little scientific backing for that anecdotal evidence. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we do know that dogs are omnivores um, and the general po population that dog population doesn't really tolerate their really high protein and high fat, high carb diets. You want it, there's a nice little sweet spot in the middle where, you know, it could differ between breeds. If you have a highly active working breed, say like a, a German Shepherd or, or one of these types of dogs, they're going to need a different diet type to your ancestral pug or yes. bulldog or something like, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's, there's lots of foods that are marketed towards feeding your dog sort of like their ancestors. Mm. I, but when you compare a dog, like say my Boston Terrier, he's come a long way from his wolf or wild dog ancestors. Mm -hmm. um, so in reality, domestications brought dogs so far from those diet types. Um, it's a long way away from what really like constitutes a balanced diet for them. Mm -hmm. Now I know I'm no canine nutritionist, uh, but I know what I feed my dogs. And we know that there is, you know, there's got to be a link there between what goes in and the behaviors that we see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when we think about the foods that they eat, the majority of it's provided by us. What other things can impact microbiome of the dog other than the foods that we're feeding them? Well, it's the foods that they're not supposed to eat. Uh, is one for sure, which I know a lot of dog owners can probably relate to. Um, so the gut microbiome is actually uh, impacted from day one. Um, so the pregnancy, uh, the, the health of the mother and the method of delivery of the puppies sort of helps to form the core population of the gut. And then along the way, you'll see little changes here and there based on the dog's environment, obviously their diet but exposure to different types of medications and dewormers as well. So obviously an antibiotic is going to basically rip any diversity out of the gut microbiome almost completely. Um, there's also evidence that spending more time in the outdoors and around other dogs can also affect a dog's gut microbiome. Um, so that research is actually, it started in humans where they were sort of looking at the shared microbiome within families and people cohabiting together. 
And that's actually been seen in dogs too, that dogs who have more access to the outdoors and generally spend more time outside exercising tend to have a more diverse gut microbiome profile than dogs who spend a lot of time inside. So it's sort of interesting that you have the behavioral link there where you're getting um, enrichment and stimulation from your environment, but it's probably also contributing to gut health as well. Yeah, that is really interesting, isn't it? I, I also heard, now tell me if I'm wrong on this, but if people that have pets, it's also, there's there's diversity in the gut microbiome of both the people and the dogs because of yeah. baby kisses, licks and stuff like that? Well, it's all sort of linked too, because it's not just, I mean, you can think of your gut as sort of animal that goes straight through your body. It's not contained inside you. It's its own little ecosystem there and sort of living within you. And it's also linked to the skin microbiome as well. So, you know, any physical contact, just close proximity, petting your dog, that can affect your skin microbiome, which can also impact your gut microbiome and your brain. Huh. That's very interesting. Who would have thought you become just like your animals in a lot of different ways? You'll say they look like their dogs and their pets, but now they're starting to actually get the same guts as them. It's pretty, pretty cool. So we hear about prebiotics and probiotics in people. Is it important to give them to our pets in particular you mentioned a few medications there that would make sense that maybe somebody would increase that like we would in people after having an antibiotic for example so i think in that kind of a situation where you're dealing with gastrointestinal issues yeah you do want to supplement with prebiotics to restore some uh, core functions for the gut in general though with probiotics and prebiotics it's in your commercial dog food um and you don't really need to do too much as long as you're feeding a high quality food. So the way when we talk about probiotics and prebiotics, the way I like to think of it is your probiotics are your gut sold. And then the prebiotics are the food for the army. Mm. So generally speaking, your prebiotics in dog food are going to come in the form of undigestible foodstuffs. So your dietary fiber, and um, that'll be things like uh, soybean husks and pulp, any fiber that the dog can't digest to use themselves, that goes towards feeding your little probiotic soldiers. Mm -hmm. So aside from it being in commercial dog foods, um, there are natural sources as well. You can supplement your dog's diet with things like yogurt, uh, kefir milk, goat milk. Um, and you can also pick up pre-formulated probiotics like Fortiflora, um, mm. which you could get from your vet. If people are interested in knowing what's in the food though, um, you can check the ingredient list on your package of dog food. And if they've added probiotics to it, you'll see a long name there in italics um, on the packaging with the ingredient list. And it's generally going to be something like bifidobacterium, uh, lactobacillus, or enterococcus. Cool. That's interesting. Yeah, it, we're definitely getting to a new level of being aware about the foods we eat and, the, and even our, our dogs now, which is very cool. If somebody has a dog and they're, they're cognizant of maybe there is something with its gut that's impacting its behavior, in particular its anxiousness, can they actually get the gut microbiome of their, of their animal tested? So you can. There is a website called animalbiome.com and they have a doggy biome kit that's the one that I've seen most commonly recommended. I haven't used it personally, but their, their testing and their recommendations, they're mostly aimed at digestive health um, rather than behavioral health. Mm -hmm. So it probably wouldn't be my first recommendation if owners are thinking that the gut's contributing to behavioral issues. But it's, I think it'd be a really interesting thing for people to find out because the website will actually give you recommendations on um, dietary adjustments 
how to analyze their gut microbiome profile based on the results. So I think it's about $100 US, I think, to get it to get a kit done. And it takes a few weeks to come back, but uh, it'd definitely be interesting if anyone wanted to uh, check it out and report back to me. Well, that's right. And, you know, we just talked to, like I said, new click folks. People can check their own gut microbiome and then check their animals and realize it's a huge link to our health. We're here with Sarita Pello, who's a researcher and founder of East Coast Canine Dog Training. Her research is investigating the links between gut microbiome and anxiety and aggression in dogs. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with Sarita Pello, who's a researcher and founder of East Coast Canine Dog Training. Her research is investigating the links between gut microbiome and anxiety and aggression in dogs. Let's check it out. All right, so we've talked a lot about your research and the gut microbiome of your dogs at home, but you are also a certified professional dog trainer as well. So I want to pick your brain on some of that. Now, have you always had this connection with animals and particular dogs? I've always loved animals. Um, I didn't actually get my first dog until I was around 20. Um, my parents wouldn't let me have a dog when we were in the family home. They said it was too much responsibility. Uh, so as soon as I moved out to university, I got, went ahead and got myself a dog. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. Now you got two dogs now. And when did you decide to get into dog training? When you first became a dog owner? Or is this something that you just decided to do on your own, completely separate than just liking dogs? So it started, well, around 10 years ago when my the eldest dog we have now, Denzel, uh, he was experiencing a lot of issues himself. So he was very dog aggressive. Um, and I felt way in over my head. Uh, the first dog that we, that I had, um, he was perfect. He didn't need any, basically didn't need any training. He came house trained. He was this wonderful little dog. So then we got our second dog and he was Satan. It yeah. was so difficult, his puppyhood. And I joke with my puppy clients now that if I can make it through life with Denzel, they're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, so he started experiencing some pretty severe issues when he was around six months old. And basically I had to learn in order to help him. Um, he was still to this day, one of the more, um, severe dog aggression cases that I have ever worked with and he's mine. So he sort of sparked this joy in me that I actually enjoy, I enjoyed training him. I enjoyed working with him and I found that I had, um, the opportunity to help other people too, um, based on our journey together. So I started um, assisting with local charities. I did some work with fostering for heavenly creatures. Um, and I worked and still work very closely with the SPCA in St. John's. Mm. And I find I found that that process of helping people and being able to understand where they're coming from as well, because life with a reactive dog is difficult. And it takes owning one to really understand what somebody's going through. So a lot of my work is counseling and coaching for humans um, to help them navigate this life with their dog and help celebrate their successes, but also be there for them when things aren't going so well for their dog. So we think about a dog that's aggressive. Is it usually just in need of training? Like in your case, were you able to train the dog and then it was able to sort of function? Or is it sometimes just a personality that they have? I think, well, some dogs are um, more likely to develop aggressive or anxious behaviors. A lot of it comes down to where the dog came from in the first place. If it was a good match for the parents genetically, 
Um, an enormous portion of it is their early life experience. So whether or not the mom was had good maternal instincts, um, their early socialization experiences too, if they got along well with the other puppies in the litter. And then once they finally come home with their, their new human, um, their socialization journey as well. There's a lot more evidence in the scientific community um, over the last few years that adequate socialization in that key developmental period, generally between sort of eight to 14 weeks old, if the dog has enough positive experiences in and not too many detrimental experiences, that they can sort of skip over that hump of being predisposed to anxious and aggressive behaviors. And the dog can actually turn out relatively okay, even if the um, genetics weren't really there to help support them. Um, in terms of training, though, training is just a piece of the puzzle. And, that, and it generally takes a very well-rounded approach to be able to assist dogs with behavioral issues. Um, the first step for me is always a uh, vet visit to rule out any underlying medical conditions or unidentified pain. Uh, because pain can actually be a huge trigger for aggressive behaviors in dogs and skipping straight to the training without it identifying any confounding factors has a huge risk of making us fight an uphill battle for that dog. That's going to be costly for the dog owner, um, not only financially in terms of paying the trainer to you, but also in the time they invest in this dog and their emotional bank account, how much they can actually handle working with this dog. So if we can address all of those underlying conditions first, it makes their training journey much easier. Mm -hmm. um, aside from that, though, environmental management is very important, too. So we need to ensure that we're minimizing stress for the dogs so they can be as resilient as possible, um, along with them meeting all of their emotional and physical needs, too. So their mental and physical stimulation, along with a really good night's sleep, um, are all really important in helping to rehabilitate those aggressive dogs. Mm -hmm. and, on that note, with the sleep, interestingly, since the pandemic started, one of the most useful pieces of advice that I've had for um, dog owners whose dogs have not dealt well with the whole working from home is that the dogs just aren't getting enough sleep. They're used to their owners being gone for six, eight, ten hours a day, during which time the dog would happily nap away in the front window, get plenty of beauty sleep. And now owners are at home and the dogs are following them around the home and being disturbed all the time. And it was actually presenting with a lot of um, unusual behavioral issues for the dogs of crankiness, little bursts of aggression and guarding behaviors. And so many people have been helped just by setting up their dog a nice relaxing place to sleep. Yeah, that's really interesting. Who would have thought that, right? We, we, we're all happy that our dogs are around us and we're in a better state of mind, but they're, they're missing their The dogs sleep. want us to go back to work. That's amazing. Who would have thought? That's what they're so excited when they see you get home at the end of the day and now they're just over it. So yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. So if somebody sees, like I had a puppy one time and about a year or probably two years old, it actually started to change its behavior for a short period of time. We had trained it initially and it was very well behaved and very socialized around other dogs, but then it changed its behavior rapidly at about two year point. Um, what should people do if they do notice a change in the behavior of their dog? Um, so my first recommendation is always going to be to reach out to a vet um, just to make sure there isn't something going on there that you can't see on the surface, um, whether that's underlying pain or an undiagnosed medical condition. Um, from there, you can either deal with 
whatever the vet presents to us, or you can start looking into behavior modification Mm -hmm. and even just uh, reaching out to a trainer or a behavior consultant to discuss your specific situation. They can come in for a visit and talk you through what might be a normal part of dog development, or if there's something that we need to be concerned about to start uh, looking into behavior modification. Mm-hmm. In terms of sort of, you mentioned dog sociability as your dog got older. Um, you do often see that the older a dog gets once they become fully mature around sort of two years old or so, they actually become generally a lot more dog selective. Mm-hmm. So it's very unusual to have, or it's more unusual to have an adult dog who genuinely enjoys other dogs' company. And a lot of the time, your dog will probably have just a small, community of dogs that they get along well with and they can they'll play with them and walk with them but a lot of dogs I mean people think that a dog park is the way to go to go and sort of socialize your dog and exercise them but a lot of dogs just don't really enjoy that environment and then you see fights break out and um, dogs not having a great time in there that might previously have enjoyed dog company Mm. People think that their dog has become aggressive, but a lot of times it's just a natural progression of a dog maturing is narrowing their social circle. Yeah. Sort of like high school. Do you still train dogs yourself or so people can reach out and contact you if they're listening to this and they they need a bit of guidance? Absolutely. Uh, So I run East Coast Canine Dog Training Mm -hmm. um, and we offer group classes out in Torbay at a dog's world doggy daycare. And so that's for puppy socialization classes and adult-based obedience classes. Um, and I also offer private training as well. So that's done generally at the owner's home or out in public. Um, and for those things, we deal with aggression and anxiety in the private training. Perfect. Is there an email people can reach you at or a website? Sure. Uh, the website is www.eastcoastcanine.ca or you can email info at eastcoast. And we're also on Facebook if you want to come by for some cute puppy pictures. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I think social media is a way to connect with people. It's very easy. Everybody has it these days. So that's perfect. Uh, Any last thoughts you want to leave our listeners with as we sort of wrap up a very global talk about animal health and behavior today? Uh, For me personally, I'd like owners to know that if they are dealing with behavioral issues with their dog, that they're not alone. Um, It can be a really isolating experience, especially for um, separation anxiety and for aggressive behaviors in dogs. Um, You can often feel like you're on your own. And I can guarantee you that there's other people going through very similar things to what you are. So, you know, if if dog owners do need help, uh, reach out to someone who is qualified to assist you and they'll take you through the steps to hopefully improve both your dog's quality of life and yours when you're living with a reactive That's great. What a great way to wrap it up. We talk about the animal health, but also how it interacts with our health. And that's the whole point of the show. Sarita, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you to my guests, Faith and Sarita, for joining me today. We learn something new every day. And that's that our pets may not only be good for our own health, but there's lots of things we can do to improve theirs. Also, that aggressive dog behavior can be linked to the gut, just like our moods can be related to our gut microbiome. You know, sometimes it's nice to dive deep into a topic and we walk away learning something that we never would have thought about before, but will keep top of mind in the future. Well, that's our show this week. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of The Wall Show on your VOCM.